Well, thank you very much indeed. And what a wonderful evening. And uh, I do thank you so much uh, for that wonderful story. There is a theme tonight, because before I knew we were going to hear this wonderful story, I had chosen to speak on the subject, there's always more. And I believe that's what God wants us to know tonight. There's always more. God's intention is to bless us. He's a generous God who wants to pour his love, his goodness, his healing, his power into our lives to overflowing. There's a wonderful verse in Romans 5 which says, and hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The message version puts it like this. There it says, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that? We can't round up enough containers. And I want to look briefly at two stories in the Bible that just illustrate something of the wonderful generosity of God. The first story is not really a very well-known story. It's a beautiful story tucked away in the book of Joshua. And it's a story about Caleb's daughter. Her name was Aksar. Now, Caleb, you may remember, was one of the 12 spies who was sent out to do a recce of the promised land. Ten of them came back saying, oh, there's giants there. It looks very scary. No, we can't do it. Two of them... Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. It's not beyond God's power. We can go and take the land. That was Caleb. And Caleb had a daughter, beloved daughter, called Aksar. And when it was time for Aksar to get married, he set a competition for the man who was going to have his daughter's hand. The man who could successfully attack and conquer one of the cities could have his daughter's hand in marriage. It was a different culture, remember. Quite a tall order for a son-in-law. And uh, a young man, Othniel, managed to do just that, and so he was given Aksa in marriage. And obviously Caleb wanted to give his beloved daughter a wonderful wedding present, and he gave her uh, um, a piece of land, quite a large piece of land. And, uh, but Aksa, being a wise woman, realized that just to have a piece of land without water wouldn't be enough to grow things. She needed water to irrigate the land in order that it could be fruitful. And so she said to Othdeel, I'm going to ask Dad if he could give us springs of water to go with this land. Now, we might think that's a bit greedy. Um, she's been given this wonderful wedding present. But actually, Aksar knew her dad. She understood he was good. He was generous. He wanted to see her blessed. And so we read in Joshua 15 that uh, Aksar came to ask her father. Uh, and when she got close to Caleb, he asked her, what can I do for you? And she replied, Dad... Do me a special favor. Since you've given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. And what did Caleb say? He said, you can have both the upper springs and the lower springs. That's what a generous father looks like. 
He says, yes, of course. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be blessed. I'm giving, going to give you the upper and the lower springs. Now, the other story is of a woman in completely different circumstances. She had none of the advantages that AXA had. She'd had a tortuous life. She'd known betrayal. She'd known rejection. She had uh, suffered at the hands of many people. She was, of course, the Samaritan woman, the story that we know so well. She came, as we know, to draw water when the sun was at its hottest because she was scorned by the people in her village. So unlike the other women who always came together so they could gossip and chat together, this woman came on her own, an outcast, rejected. And here it was that she met Jesus, who asked her, could you give me some water? And I imagine that, um, please do. And I imagine that this woman asked Jesus rather scathingly because actually she hadn't had a very good relationship with men. And most likely she said to Jesus, hmm, who do you think you are asking me, a woman? Men don't speak to women. And anyway, I'm a Gentile. Uh, I'm a Samaritan rather, neither Gentile nor Jew. And who do you think you are speaking to me? And Jesus says, actually, I want to give you something so much better. I want to give you something that will quench your thirst forever, that will meet the deepest cry of your heart, and you'll never run dry of the living water I want to give you. Not only that, we know in the story that Jesus revealed he knew all about her. He said, yes, I know. I know you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now isn't your husband. He didn't say that to accuse her. He didn't say that to shame her. He was actually offering her something so much better. And I love the end of the story. This woman who'd came... Uh, with her head bowed down, an outcast despised, runs back to her village, to the people that she couldn't face, and says, I have met somebody you've got to come and meet. And we read in John uh, where it says, many of the Samaritans believed because of the words of one woman who testified. Two thousand years later, we're still talking about this outcast woman because she had an encounter with Jesus who gave her more. I love that. And I believe that any one of us who has an encounter with Jesus will receive more than we could ever imagine. And out of that, we can transform our families our communities, our workplaces, even our nation. It takes one woman who had an encounter with Jesus and she received more than she could ever have imagined. And you know, Jesus in his teaching made it abundantly clear that God wants to give us 
more and more, to have more of his life flowing through us. Do you remember when Jesus' teaching said, if you who are earthly parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you remember the story of the prodigal son where the elder brother was having a moan because nobody had thrown a party for him. Nobody had killed the fatted calf for him. And now the son who'd wandered off had come back. And his father was displaying all this affection and extravagance. And the elder brother's pretty put out. And what does his father say to him? Everything I have is yours which is exactly what he says to us today. Everything that I have is yours. In Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you're blessed if you know your need of God because the kingdom of heaven is given to such of these. The kingdom of heaven where God's rule of love, power, healing, reconciliation is poured out upon us for all those who come hungry for more of God. Simon Ponsonby, um, a theologian and writer, makes it very clear that we already have everything in Christ. There's no more to be given, but there is a whole lot more to be taken. And I believe that God would say to us this evening, be greedy. There's so much more of my love that I want to give, my hope, my forgiveness, my healing, my transformation. So how do we keep on receiving more? And I want to say firstly that I think that we need to deal with disappointment. All of us at some stage have known disappointment. Things that we'd hoped for haven't happened. Prayers we've made haven't been answered, outcomes that we'd really uh, believed in haven't, haven't happened. All of us in some area know disappointment. And so often disappointment stops us from hoping for more, stops us from trusting God for more. Do you remember those disciples on the road to Emmaus? Their heads were bowed. They were so disappointed. And this stranger comes and walks alongside them. And they're, they're so bowed down with disappointment, all they can say to the stranger is, we had hoped. And that weight of disappointment robbed them from seeing that actually it was Jesus walking alongside them. And so often I think it is that disappointment robs us from seeing the more that God is wanting to give to us. I remember on one occasion when I was um, going through a difficult time, and I used to go and visit this wonderful nun. It was when I was living in Birmingham. And every month I'd pop along and see this, this uh, wise nun. And I remember telling her about this struggle that I was having, that things weren't working out the way I'd hoped. And she said this to me, remember it was said first by a nun. She looked me in the eye and she said, Annie, you know, God can take the shit of our lives and turn it into manure. Don't you like that? <laughs> 
And I remember talking with uh, a lady on one occasion who'd been through a really difficult time. She'd known bitter betrayal. She'd lost any sense of being able to trust men again. And I said this to her. And she chuckled. And then she said this. You mean the roses can grow again. See, that's the thing. In the areas where we found disappointment, where we've known loss of hope, Jesus would say to us, that's where I want to put new seeds of hope that will grow beautiful things you never imagined possible. We had that verse quoted at the beginning uh, of our evening from Hosea. He puts it rather more eloquently than my nun when he says, I'm going to allure you into the desert. The desert is a place often where we feel forgotten, deserted, broken, barren. And God says, I'm going to allure you there because there I'm going to speak tenderly to you. And there I will make the valley of trouble a doorway of hope. And you will sing as you did in the days of your youth. We've heard a wonderful story about somebody facing the doorway of trouble and with God's help and the help of friends, finding it becoming a doorway of hope. And I would just say to us tonight that if we have found that disappointment has hit us, and we're sensing, I dare not hope again. I can't trust again. I believe God would say, take courage. And one of the things, I, ways that I think we deal with disappointment is that we face it honestly. And we pour it out to God. So often, the psalmist poured out his complaint to God, didn't he? Why are you so cast down? My enemies seem to be winning and I'm not. He poured his struggles out. And then when he came to the end, he would say, yet I will trust in you again. And I have found for myself that when I've been through a difficult time, uh, when things aren't going as I'd hoped in some area, I'll write it down. Write it down as my, my way of getting it out. And then I pause at the end. Sometimes even I put it under my pillow at night. And in the morning I say, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to trust God again. Because you see, I've come across so many people who've come across difficult situations, hard times, which all of us face. And it's been a roadblock where they cannot trust God again, where they dare not hope for more. And God says, I know, I know the disappointments, but will you trust me that as you put them into God's hands, he will make them the doorway of hope. He will cause roses to grow where you never expected it. You will see God doing for you things you never imagined. So firstly, we deal with disappointments. But then secondly, we do press in for more. There's a wonderful story uh, in 2 Samuel where David, King David, was in captivity. And uh, let me just read it to you. Um, at that time, uh, David was um, in the stronghold 
And he longed for water and said, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And it says here, so the three mighty men, they were his good friends, broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. I love that picture of breaking through. It's not about sitting back waiting. It's a determined, intentional uh, decision to break through for more. I love the story uh, of Liz and Anne. And, and from, from what I heard, Anne, you were pretty much dragged up to the front for prayer. That's called breaking through. It's saying, I'm not going to just sit back and hope. I'm intentionally going to go for it. You know, we are carriers of the Spirit of God. For those of us who believe in Jesus, he's given to us the Holy Spirit. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And it doesn't get better than that. It really doesn't. We carry something utterly remarkable. A friend of ours was uh, coming back from a mission trip he'd been on, and he got on the plane, ready to fly home. And as he went to sit down next to to the passenger um, already there, this lady, she was Spanish, said, you may not want to sit there. I'm absolutely terrified of flying, and I tend to make all those around me terrified too. So you might want to sit elsewhere. He plonked himself down next to her. And he said this, my peace will balance out your fear. Don't you think that's wonderfully audacious? He knew who he was. He knew what he carried. And he wasn't afraid to say it. Not surprisingly, she said, well, how on earth do you carry this peace? And by the end of the journey home, she was a follower of Jesus. You know, wouldn't it be great if we had that confidence too? That we know who we are, God's beloved daughters. We know what we carry, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And God would say to us, go for it. You can do it. Nothing's too difficult. We've had an example of that this evening. I worked uh, for uh, 15 years or so as a chaplain. I'm not ordained, but I worked as a chaplain in a large medical practice in Birmingham. And uh, this group of GPs had uh, begun to realize, some of them are Christians, not all of them, they'd come to realize that many of the patients who were coming to see them, struggling with all sorts of conditions, didn't really need medication. Um, but that's all they could offer. Really, they needed somebody to listen to them, and they came to this decision that what they really needed was something spiritual. By that, they meant uh, that, uh, that people were lacking a sense of purpose, a sense of worth, a sense of significance, uh, meaning in life. And so, with great courage, 15 years ago, they said, well, would I go and work as a chaplain? And so I was very privileged. Uh, GPs would refer uh, patients to me. I could talk to them. I could um, pray with them, too, all paid for on the NHS. Um, And I loved it. 
And I remember one time, uh, this lady came uh, to see me. Um, she was a very attractive woman. She'd been very, very successful working in advertising. She told me that she lived in the world of fast cars, champagne breakfasts, trips to Cannes, and as she said, all the charming men that went with that. But when I met her, as she was sitting in front of me in the surgery, she had lost everything. She'd had two broken marriages. She had, because of uh, heavy drinking, she had um, uh, become bankrupt. And uh, she'd also had a drink drive offense, so she'd lost her driving license. And as she sat in me, she was a picture of absolute despair. She said, I've got nothing left in life. I've lost everything, and there's nothing to live for, and I don't know where to go from here. I asked her if she had a face, and she said no, she didn't, um, but she wished she had something to hold on to, but she said there's nothing. And I remember saying to her, well, could I pray for you? She said, yes, that would be great, and I can't remember what I prayed. But I just remember that I put my hand on her shoulder, which was what I always did, and just prayed uh, that she would know something of God's love and help. And we said goodbye. I said, you're welcome to come back anytime. I didn't see her again for three months. But in the meantime, she wrote uh, to the medical practice where I work. And she said this, I remember my first session with Annie, the chaplain, when she asked if she could pray for me and laid her hand on my shoulder to ask God to be in my situation, something changed forever. I walked home in floods of tears. I'll never know how I walked home, but I knew that something was being released and could feel a warm love seeping in where there had been such devastation, bitter coldness, rejection, darkness, betrayal and fear. Because of her heavy drinking, uh, and also she had taken uh, one or two overdoses, she had considerable damage to some of her vital organs. And she wrote this. Um, she she uh, had to be admitted to hospital. She thought she was going to die. Um, but she said, I'm forever indebted to the medical center for rekindling my faith and love for God. My physical health is by all medical accounts a miracle. She now uh, works as an evangelist. But you know, when I prayed for her, I had no idea what God would do in the same way with Liz. But you know, when we pray for people in the name of Jesus, God, I believe, always imparts something. We may never know what. I may never have known about this, except that she wrote and I met up with her subsequently. But, you know, we in, in the medical practice, we found that so many people uh, wanted to be prayed for, people who had no faith, people who wouldn't darken the door of a church. But when they were desperate, they wanted to be prayed for. So we set up a prayer clinic in the surgery, and people would come perhaps because they'd had a difficult diagnosis or they were struggling in some way or other and they could just drop in once a month to the prayer clinic and receive prayer. You know, God has given that to every one of us, the gift of his spirit in us. When we pray, when we bless, God always imparts something.
And uh, I began to think, uh, I, I retired earlier this year from, from my work at the medical practice, and I began to think, where am I going to pray for people uh, not in church, people who don't have a faith, people who don't know where to go? And I began to think, well, actually, these people are everywhere. They're in the coffee shops, in the bar, by the bus stops. And so I began to ask God to show me, where could I pray for people? And, and I remember one day I was sitting in a coffee shop and um, I saw this lady come in uh, and something about her attracted me and I said, God, is there anything you'd like me to say to her? And I felt God say, uh, she's worried about a family member. Now, I'm never 100% sure, so I never say God's told me. I just had that sense. So we got into conversation. And as us women, it's not too difficult to chat away, is it, about all sorts of things. I got chatting with her, and then I just said, I just sensed uh, that you might be anxious. Uh, are you anxious about a family member? She said, I'm worried sick about my daughter. And she said, my nerves are so bad, I decided to come in for a cup of coffee. So I said, well, could I pray for you? Because I find that prayer helps. She said, that would be amazing. I prayed very simply for her. And she said, I can't get over this. I came in for a coffee because my nerves were so bad and I've been prayed for. It wasn't difficult. And another time I was standing at the bus stop and I saw this lady limping to, towards the bus stop. And when she got there, I said, oh, you look as though you're in pain. And uh, she told me about her condition. And I said, I find that uh, prayer really helps. She said, oh, I've heard about that. She said, I used to go to Mass, but I don't go now. So I said, could I pray for you? And she said, well, yes, please do. Now, there was a third lady who'd been standing in the queue, and she turned away discreetly. And uh, so I just prayed very simply for this lady. And then the three of us resumed chatting about grandchildren and all sorts of things. And the bus came. But as we got on the bus, this third lady who turned away whispered in my ear, Thank you for reminding me of the power of prayer. Now, I don't know what I triggered off in her life, but what I'm saying is it's not difficult. You know, God's given us this wonderful treasure to give away. And we carry that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. When we pray, when we bless, God will do things we never imagined possible. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I do have a few, but this one I love and keep coming back to, is at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. It's the end of Paul's prayer when he prays that we'd be strengthened with might in our inner being. He prays that we'd know how utterly beloved we are. And then he says, now unto God, who's able to do far more than we ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. Thank you. In us. Now, there's a wonderful theologian called Tom Wright, and this is what he writes in his commentary on this verse. He says, having read verse 20, which I've just uh, quoted, think what God might do in you and through you, you as an individual, you as a community. Now, he says, reflect on the fact 
that God is perfectly capable of doubling that, of trebling that, and of going so far beyond it that you would look back at the present moment and say, how could you be so short-sighted? That's our God. He says, beloved women, just begin to dream of what God might do in you and through you, in your marriage, in your family, in your work, in community. And God's perfectly capable of doubling that, trebling that, going so far beyond it. And I think tonight, if any here are feeling, I'm stuck, maybe my marriage is really going through a difficult time, Maybe I'm struggling with a family member. Maybe my health. Maybe my work situation. Maybe my church. God would say, don't give up. But begin to dream what God might be doing and wait for it to happen. Some of you will know a book called Grace Outpouring. Have any of you here read that? Yes, I can see a few. It's written about a retreat centre in Wales. But the story actually began about 30 years ago when a friend of mine, Phyllida, uh, first began to dream with God. She was living in High Wycombe, which is where we lived at the time. And at the time, her husband was working in Nigeria for the World Bank. Um, and, so, and they weren't particularly, uh, they weren't physically together, but they weren't really together in their faith either. But Phyllida had a dream that she'd one day like to set up a retreat centre in Wales, where people could come and be prayed for, where people would sense and experience the healing, transforming love of God. And at the time she had this dream, it couldn't have seemed further from reality. Her husband abroad, he, he, he'd no desire to do this. Um, but what Philida did was she wrote this vision on a piece of paper and cut it out in the shape of an egg. And she said, I'm putting it in my Bible to hatch. And there it stayed. And every now and again, when I went to have lunch with her, she'd show it to me. There it was. Nearly 10 years later, it has to be said, her husband had come home. His face had been restored. And they were driving through Wales on holiday. And they came across this old farmhouse in Welsh, it was called Sickbank, but I don't think I say it right. And it meant dried up riverbed. And Philida said, that's it. They purchased it, they had it renovated, and they renamed it Faldy Brennan, the King's Sheepfold. And today, many people, even from across the world, go there for retreats. And there's been this amazing outpouring of God's grace and healing. And about a year ago, I was in Birmingham meeting up with some doctors who'd come to, to um, see about the chaplaincy work. They'd driven up from Devon. And uh, one of the, uh, I noticed that the, uh, some of the GPs were speaking very loudly, almost shouting at one of the GPs. And uh, she said to them, remember, you don't have to shout now. 
And then she turned to me and said, I'd better explain. But she said, I was profoundly deaf in one ear. My hearing was very, very poor. And she said, I drove to Faldi Brennan. And when I got out of the car and stood in the car park, the Spirit of God fell on me. And my hearing was restored. Another <coughs> wonderful story. And, you know, as she said it, I could feel tears prick my eyes as I remembered Philida with that dream, with that vision that has well exceeded her expectations. I just want to say tonight, let's be women who dream, who dream of what God might do in restoring, in healing, in reconciling. And let's be those who say, I'm not going to give up trusting God because I believe he's able to do far more than we ask or imagine because of his power at work in us. You know, I believe that there are women tonight here who have a great burden in their hearts for their families. And your heavenly father says to you, don't give up believing and trusting. I am the God of the so much more. There are people here I know who would love to see God doing so much more in your community. People coming to faith, seeing lives transformed by the love of God. God would say to you, don't give up believing trusting and praying I'm the God of the so much more and I believe God says to all of us don't forget who you are you are my beloved daughters on whom my favor rests I never stop thinking about you with love with pleasure with pride I see you as I made you to be you may look at yourself and see yourself through the lens of other people's voices. But God does not look at you through those lenses. He looks at you with eyes of love, with eyes of faith, and he says, you can do it. God would say to us, if you know who you are, and you know what you carry, nothing's too difficult. Don't you think that's great news? I think let's stand and just welcome the presence of our Heavenly Father through his Spirit. Let's stand. Father, we're here because we're hungry for more of you. And you've promised that you give good gifts. You fill the hungry with good things. You know the places where we feel empty. You know the places where we feel afraid. You know the places where we feel we've lost hope. You know the places where we've just longed for more. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come upon us. You'd pour out upon us your Holy Spirit, that we can hardly contain it. 
fill us with your love, that we may love in a new way those who we found difficult, those who've hurt us, where we've been betrayed. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your eyes of faith that we may see things with your perspective, not with ours, but with your perspective of faith and hope. Where we're anxious, would you fill us with your perfect love that casts out fear? going to ask the worship group to come forward but there is now an opportunity for prayer and there have been a number of words I've just received two more a picture of a hot do, do be seated just for the moment there's a picture of a hot air balloon uh, but it was pegged to the ground uh, so it wasn't able to to um, run free and it said God wants to cut it free so it can soar in his power and another word that says someone's come here feeling or perhaps even has said that someone's burst my bubble and what God wants to give you can't be burst or destroyed it's solid permanent dependable there have been a number of words but it may be that over this evening you're aware that you've carried disappointments you may be aware of areas in your life where you'd love to see God's more. And I think this is a feast where God says, come and eat. It's all here for you.